Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, my friends. Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we are going to talk to none other than the DTC guy. We'll find out, did he give himself that moniker or was a DTC council convened to bestow it upon him? We'll find this out. We're joined by Nick Sharma. If you're familiar with Nick Sharma, you realize how exciting that is. This guy produces so much content. If you are involved in just looking for any information and you want good detailed info about selling in e-commerce, direct-to-consumer DTC, you're going to, it is inevitable you will run across Nick Sharma. And, you know, similar to Gary Vee, it's like, there's so many Nick Sharmas. What flavor of Nick Sharma do you get? I prefer the Nick Sharma newsletter. Like, that's my Nick Sharma is in my inbox. But I want to hear the story from him. When someone does so much and produces so much, what stands out to them. What do they prioritize? What is important to them? That's what we're going to find out today. And so Nick Sharma, CEO of Sharma Brands, joins us today to discuss it. I, of course, uh, am Kurt Elster. Jack Nasty. Your host. And uh, Mr. Sharma, thank you so much for joining us. Excited to be here. I've also got one of these fancy <laughs> buttons as well. <laughs> the I ugh, love that sound. You know, it doesn't give me goosebumps anymore, but still, still an exciting and pleasant Pleasant noise. So, Nick, uh, well, where are you located, my man? New York City. Big Apple. I love New York. I will go out there in April. I'll head back out to New York. Um, nice. Yeah, it's beautiful here. You are, you're a lot of things. Operator, investor, advisor, the DTC guy. How do you see yourself? I see myself as, you know, the CEO of Sharma Brands. Um, and Sharma Brands is essentially a... Uh, consulting firm, consulting and execution firm for uh, CPG companies. So our primary focus is brands that are um, generating, you know, fifty to five hundred million dollars a year. That's sort of our sweet spot. Um, and you know, our team does everything from strategy and um, research all the way through, you know, paid media, ad creative, CRO, email, site design, site development. Um, we're basically a full service digital shop. We sort of started. This this whole thing started because I was just freelancing, um, and you know I'd go into a company and they'd say, "Hey, we want to go direct to consumer. Uh, can you help us do that? You know, can you go find the web agency? Can you figure out the ads? Can you figure out what our acquisition offer is? Figure out our retention strategy, um, and manage it all on our behalf. That's what we want to pay you for." And uh, so I I started doing that as you know in 2019, and um, basically realized that, you know, the one thing I could do really well was build landing pages. I was really good at copywriting, designing landing page and designing is like not the level of design we have now, but more so just using Unbounce's builder and being able to move things around in a way that I knew was intuitive to the user on the other end. And, um, and then I would manage all the other pieces. So, you know, Super Coffee wanted to go direct to consumer. I would help them figure out, okay, who's buying our ads, who's editing our videos, uh, who's doing this? Who's doing that? And I would basically sit sort of as the, 
you know, uh, uh, in front of the chariot holding all the reins um, on what we're doing. But and then, you know, if they had something they wanted to do, it would flow through me and I would just make it happen. Slowly, Sharma Brands started evolving and growing. And one of the things that we did was, um, you know, we just started building out these departments internally. So we would see, okay, um, you know, video, I think, uh, was the first one. So we would, we realized, you know, we're spending a lot on freelance video editors. Why don't we just go get the best one, bring them in house and start producing our own video because it's cumbersome when somebody wants to, uh, you know, do video with us. And then we have to, we have to, you know, first come up with the, the idea or the strategy, and then we have to go manage other freelancers who are, you know, they all have their own schedules and whatnot. And so we built out the full video team in house. Then we did the same thing with design. And then, you know, basically one after the other, you know, almost on a every year basis, we added another new service. And, um, you know, the most recent one being email, where similarly, it was like, we would basically outsource email to other agencies. Um, and, you know, our clients know all of this, they would see it all. But we would say, hey, we'll still manage the strategy and make sure it's, you know, bubbling up to whatever the top level result is that you guys are trying to hit. But the problem was like, you know, convincing an email team that their product that they're producing is not really just retention, but, you know, we should think about using email for acquisition or whatever it may be, something else uh, was not easy. And so slowly I just started to realize we just got to build these teams in house. We have to build them our way. We have to train them our way. And, um, you know, it'll be an, it'll be a bed, better customer experience for the client too, because they're going to come and it's going to be a one-stop shop uh, for their, you know, we call it like a full service digital escalator at this point. Whatever floor in the mall you want to go to, it's inside the mall. You just got to come inside the mall and, um, you know, we'll take care of you. So but that's what I see myself as mostly in day-to-day as CEO of Sharma Brands. The other stuff is like, those are all side hustles for me. And today, what, you know, what are you working on now? What takes up? Your time is it? It's Sharma Brands. It's the agency. It's Sharma Brands. Yeah, it's you know, it's um, it's it's a combination. Uh, some of it's business development. Um, some of it's you know internally. You know, how how are we becoming better, stronger, smarter, faster, more efficient? Um, some of it is figuring out. Okay, what is that next arbitrage or what is that next opportunity that we can jump on before you know any of the other agencies or any of our clients will jump on for, you know, another six to, six to 12 months. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it too is just like, you know, um, I don't even know, like me, internal meetings basically, like, you know, how do we get better, stronger, faster? And um, so I try to focus my time on the things wherever I have like the most leverage. And then the things that I don't at this point, it's great. I can just, you know, somebody else can do it. You can um, pay someone else to worry about it or, or delegate it. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, last year I hired somebody whose entire job is basically to do the things that I need to do that don't require my active thinking. So if it doesn't require my active creative thinking, but it's something that needs to come from me, HR, uh, you know, contracts, legal, like I just don't have to deal with it. Somebody else is now entirely tasked with being me, but not thinking like me, if that makes sense. You started this in Sharma Brands uh, 2019? Mm-hmm. Looking back, it's five years now. Looking, some exciting things happened in the last five years. Um, from your perspective, like what, what's the big thing that has changed, or are we just on the same trajectory we were? 
I think to some extent we're on, you know, if you look at that one graph that you might be thinking of in your head with the little bump in COVID and then the dip after COVID, you know, in that sense, I think we're still in the same, we're on the same trajectory. But I do think from a standpoint of consumer habits, how consumers um, view things, how they look at ads, how they interact with brands, how they uh, perceive things, I think a lot of that has evolved a lot. Uh, you know, and that was definitely accelerated by the pandemic. A lot of the things that, from a marketing standpoint, maybe used to work during the pandemic, like just don't work now. Um, cutting through the noise has become a lot harder because the noise has filter, you know, bullshit filters in front of it from consumers. Um, so I think in that sense, it's changed a lot. You know, uh, one of my favorite examples is um, we launched this brand called Jolie, which is a showerhead company, and. Today, there's probably, you know, six to 10 different competitors that have popped up uh, that basically sell the same thing. One of them, I'm almost 100% confident, uh, reads my newsletter, takes all the tips there, and <laughs> has built a landing page to perfection um, uh, to compete with Jolie. I'm, I'm almost positive they read the newsletter because of the things that are on that landing page. They're like, this is and, just um, too on the nose. Yeah, yeah. It hit every... like. You know, in one of the newsletters, I definitely talk about every single section in the landing page. It had every section in the same order. And so, um, so anyways, you know, the, the point there is um, with that filter that consumers have, you know, nobody knows what the other showerhead companies are. It's not easy to cut through the noise anymore as it was before. Um, you have today, you know, multi-hundred million dollar uh, fashion companies launching new brands Nobody's ever heard of them. Nobody's probably going to hear of them because it's not as easy as it used to be. And I think the cutting through the noise, that's the hardest part. You know, unless you're spending, uh, I know of one brand that um, spends, you know, probably eight to $10 million a month on advertising, just strictly lower funnel advertising. Um, but they have no brand. They're the only ones that, have, that I know who have gotten through it uh, or gotten away with not building that sort of brand or that top of funnel. But I think for 99.9%, of people, you have to figure out how to first cut through that noise and become interesting before you can even have the audacity to go sell product. Okay. I, hmm, I want to talk about, I want to talk about brand building with you. I want to talk about storytelling, but one quick follow-up. I mean, you mentioned, uh, Jolie, the showerhead brand. Um, you've got quite a few, quite a few brands in the portfolio. If I pick a favorite, it's Judy, Judy, the um, emergency kit brand. I just, I love the branding. I love the idea. And I believe it was an Oprah's favorite thing, an OFT. Yeah. I think twice. Are there, oh, twice. That's impressive. Um, so with that big portfolio, which of the, are any of those brands your baby? Which is your favorite? A company that I would drop everything and go work for is uh, called Cadence. They make these incredibly beautiful travel capsules, mainly for women who are traveling, or maybe, you know, you go sleep over at a friend's house you need to take your skincare routine with you. You take your moisturizer, your cleanser, your shampoo, whatever. Basically, it allows you to take your routine anywhere. And they're really, they're pretty. They're hexagon. They magged it together, right? Yeah. It's a I've fully patented really cool. design. They made them themselves. Steph, who's the founder, invented this. And this is why I joined the, the company early on. But she literally came to me for coffee. She brought 3D samples that she made herself because she figured out how to use a 3D printer and build this in, in CAD and then print it and then brought it and said, this is what I'm, I want to build. 
I love and, those people. Uh, and then she patented I love people the thing, who could do that. And then she actually made it work. And she was a one-person team up until, you know, probably, I think definitely at least the first 10 million in revenue. It was just her. Um, and, uh, you know, she's, she's another just incredible story of somebody who has built a brand uh, that I'm very proud to be associated with. Do you, th- I've heard, there's already some recurring themes here. You seem to have a, a, a preference for small teams, people who bootstrap, people who could, who could DIY it. Do you think that's where brands often go wrong? Like hiring too early? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think um, companies I've built, the ones that are slow, sort of like intentionally slow and steady and really making sure, you know, hey, before we do that, let's just make sure that this thing works here before we get to stage two. And then once you get to stage two, okay, let's just make sure everything here is working so that when we get to stage three, we're not trying to go back and fix stage two. You know, the companies that sort of take that slower approach, I think have a much higher chance of success than, hey guys, we just raised, you know, $3 million. Let's go hire a team of 30 people, get a recruiter in here. We need to start screening and hiring people. And, um, you know, here's the end product that we need to build in the next, you know, six months. Those are a lot harder to actually make sure that they, you know, work because you're not really intentional, you know, you're missing all the things that make a company special in the early days, whether it's that, uh, shared grit or that shared uh, culture or whatever it may be. If you just start adding a bunch of things into the pot, you know, you got to let your onions cook first and then you got to add your garlic and then you got to let that smell get nice. And then you got to add your tomatoes here. It's like, if you put everything in at once, you know, you, you'll still get a pasta, but it's not going to taste good at the end of the day. Um, and so that's, that's how I think of it. I also just think that the way that consumer brands are in, of cases, they should not be venture funded. And honestly, the same goes for technology companies in this space too. I was looking at a company I invested in uh, last year and they were pretty much flat year over year. The only difference is they took on VC money and now they're not profitable anymore. Um, And so that is the the downside of uh, raising money too early or too quickly, or maybe just like not knowing how to spend it, how to use it, or, you know, not doing it before. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, and of course there's, uh, outliers there I'm invested in a bunch, but, um, generally speaking, I am I'm a much bigger fan of, you know, let's really think this through from the get go and be slow and intentional about it. Fundraising should be a vehicle to expand what is already working. Today's episode is sponsored in part by IntelliGems, the game changing AB testing tool for Shopify merchants aiming for peak profitability. Think about all the effort and time and resources and energy you pour into driving traffic to your store. IntelliGems is your key to strategic, data-driven decision-making. With IntelliGems, you're not just tweaking your store, you're unlocking understanding to find out what really resonates with your customers. Test everything from your site's theme to your pricing strategy. It's about understanding what works and what's fluff. This isn't just about changing a color scheme or adjusting a price tag. It's about real-time insights that directly impact your bottom line. Join over a 1,000 Shopify merchants who've already optimized their stores with IntelliGems. It's fast to set up, and the results speak for themselves. Stop guessing. Start optimizing. Visit IntelliGems.io slash Kurt. Use code Kurt, K-U-R-T, for your discount, and transform the way your Shopify store performs today. I heard a phrase over and over from you, cutting through the noise. When you say cutting through the noise, 
Are we talking about the attention economy? What are we talking about here and how do we do it? Um, I think it, it is the attention economy. Like, um, you know, you, uh, it's, it's hard to do it, right? Like this is why venture is such a bad idea for most of these brands. Building a brand is something that, like building a brand, right? Brand building, cutting through the noise. It is, um, it's, it's something you have to do consistently. So it just, right out of the gate, it requires an, a, a decent amount of time ahead in order for this to be accomplished. Uh, you just have to keep doing the right thing consistently or, or, you know, even like Jolie come up with great campaigns, but it's gotta be consistent. If they just did it once and it, and it didn't, um, didn't follow it up with something else, then it's not going to work. And so, you know, I think there's different ways to do it, right? If you're a company like Aritzia, there's a different way to cut through the noise and you have a lot more resources at your disposal that you can leverage. Um, if you're a brand new company out of the gate, you know, one of my favorite examples is uh, there's a uh, a TikTok account by the name of Strawberry Milk Mob. I don't know if you've ever heard of this name. No. But um, this girl has, she's got to have at least a couple million followers on TikTok. And she basically just builds her business on TikTok. And she, I, I have to say, she's probably doing, you know, I'd expect at least 10, maybe 20 million in revenue. Um, not a single ad spent completely off the back. And how did she do it? She just created content uh, that cut through the noise. So it's like every brand is going to create content anyways. She just figured out her way of cutting through the noise was just talking to the camera and explaining things or talking about the bloopers that happened in her business or what it's like working with her sisters. And, um, you know, like there's no doubt you have to create content. It's just a matter of what is the content you're going to create and how, how true are you looking to make it how true are you trying to make it look? I think the other thing is like a lot of these brands that came out of these branding agencies, they look at a slide deck and they say, okay, based on, you know, the branding agency's slide deck, this is the type of content we got to create. These are our templates and this is what we should talk. These are our four pillars and every sixth post on Instagram has got to be this. And it sort of just, um, it just doesn't work anymore. Like you can't have this picture perfect approach. And, you know, even if you're building like a, a luxury fashion brand or whatever it may be, it's, there, there's variations of it that still work for that, uh, you know, that type of brand. But in general, I think the, the brands that are a lot more true and real and uh, sort of like you, you, you're kind of talking to the founder through the content, not necessarily that the founder has to be in the content, but that's the style of content or the way that the content is put through is, I think, the way to cut through. And so you think the place where brands go wrong with storytelling is they're being too formulaic, too reserved, and it just, it comes across as inauthentic. Yeah. It's like, you know, we believe that everyone should live pit free and be proud of their body odor. Who's we and who is everyone? You know, I don't want to be a part of that whack ass group. Uh, Just give me deodorant that smells good and tell me why it smells good and tell me why you started it. Maybe there's a connection there. Um, Yeah. Just a lot more authentic. What do you think's the, for an early brand where you're, you're bootstrapping, where do you think the, the gains are in content creation, the, oppor- the opportunity, or, or how much should they be producing? Because I think the issue with you know, social media content is you got to crank it out. Like the content hole must be filled and it is forever emptying itself, but 
you know, how much is enough? And at what point am I hitting diminished returns where now I'm just screwing around on social media as opposed to actually working? Like even I today, I struggle with like, well, what's, what's the balance? I think, honestly, I think a lot, a lot more people need to be honest about, is this working? And they should define what those metrics are. I would probably define it as, um, is it driving traffic and is it driving sales? Is it getting people talking about us? Um, you know, those might be the only three metrics you should really look at. I think there's too many people, uh, there's, fa- there's a lot of founders in the SaaS space that do this where they say, I'm creating content, I'm building a brand, I'm, I'm getting leads, I'm putting content out there. And it's like, bro, but no one watches your content, your content sucks, and no one cares about the content you're putting out. Um, but sure, you are creating content. And the same thing happens on the brand side too. Like you see these fancy photo shoots that happen or um, you know, overspending on, on with content creators to put things out. And it's like, yeah, but that's just not hitting. It's not hitting the mark and you guys are, you're, you're repeating the same thing that you think is going to work, but it's not going to work. Um, I just think you should basically look at metrics and just see if it's working. If it's on the B2C side, you know, I think traffic, sales, and are people talking about it? And on the B2B side, basically same thing. Signups, you know, leads, new prospects, uh, t- uh, new prospects becoming customers. And does it get us into anything? Does it enable us to walk into a room differently? Um, anything else, I think people are just lying to themselves. That's my sense too. Even, yeah, if you don't have the KPIs, you know, then yeah. you really have no idea. But with social, organic social media content, no one cares. But then when it's Facebook ads and it costs me real money, right, then suddenly it's like, well, what's the ROAS? What's my ROI here? Mm-hmm. But when it's just me wasting time on social media, no one's looking at themselves and going, well, what's the ROI on me screwing around all morning on Facebook, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and that's a great point too, which is the best ads, you know, paid media is like fundraising. Uh, when you fundraise, you're just putting more dollars on something that's already working. Paid media should be treated the exact same way. You should just sprinkle enough dollars on top of the content that is already doing well with or without, you know, a paid boost. Because all it's doing is, um, I have this analogy, which is like, if you put a, a photo in, the, in Microsoft Word and you stretch it out from the corner, you know, if it's a low quality photo, the, the, as soon as you stretch it, it gets blurry. But if it's a high quality photo, you can stretch that thing forever. And so the, the input of that content, if it's bad quality content from the get-go, you know, paid media is only going to make it worse uh, for you because you're going to be spending money on something that's not going to, you know, it's going to be blurry versus if you put something in that's already done, it's proven to do well, it's something you know resonates, and then you add dollars to it, you know, now you're stretching something that has a lot more potential. I want to talk, you know, on the, the topic of budgets, I want to talk to you about uh, brand building from the perspective of bootstrapping. You seem to have a, a preference for bootstrappers. Mm-hmm. When starting out, do you, do you, do you test launch, do you suggest we, we test launch brands or just go all in? And I'm guessing it's test launch the brand. How, how do you do it? Yeah. Test launch. I I think in most cases, test launch There's very few cases where, first of all, there's just very, there's not a lot of innovation in this space. So, you know, most, most things that come out are, oh, well, we use a different contract manufacturer. Uh, you know, we use a contract manufacturer that makes everybody else's skincare products and we put our label on it. Um, but the innovation part is, 
um, is is has a much higher success, I think, of hitting, depending on what it is, of course. Cadence and Jolie, I think, are good examples of that. Um, or innovation in the process, like Brightland. It was innovation in how they extracted the olive oil and brought it to market. Um, but if you're if you're launching a brand, I do think the best thing you could do is test it. Um, you know, and this is like pre-commitment. You know, if you if you were to go and get to a brand launch without testing it, you'd probably spend uh, tens of thousands of dollars, maybe a hundred thousand, maybe over. Um, whereas here, you could say, "All right, I'm going to put five thousand dollars to the side, and I'm going to create a landing page, uh, maybe two versions of it. I'm going to make ten pieces of creative. I'm going to come up with a fake brand name, uh, get some designs made, and and then I'm going to run some ads, and I'm going to see." If um, if people come to this site and they read about what I'm about to sell, if they if they put their email in, that's you know signal number one. If they put their card number in and do a pre order, that's signal number two. And you just look at the conversion rate and understand, okay, where is the potential? Um, and that'll sort of tell you like how how interesting is the idea. You know, if people are 25% of people are putting their email in, that's a decent idea. 50% of people are putting in their email. That's a really good idea. It's something that people definitely want. If, you know, uh, 70% of people are putting in uh, their email, you should get started on that right away. If it's 80%, I'm like, you know, take all my money. I'm investing in this thing. And and you can very quickly understand, is something going to be huge or it's not going to be huge? I just think there's it's it's a much easier path to go down than, you know, you work really hard for a year, year and a half. You launch this thing, and then you're like, "Wait a second, where are all the sales? I thought I'm supposed to get sales right now." So, what it, on that on the topic of bootstrapping? Any other essential lessons in there? You know, once I've hit that point of all right, we've got there's definite interest here. We can manufacture the product. We think this can work. We're going to start. Any other essential lessons for someone? ready to go. They're looking to launch. They're early, but they have a limited budget. Yeah. Uh, create a bunch of content, you know, figure out how to create content. Um, you know, yeah, I think, I think, think like an influencer, like a lot of my influencer friends are really good at just, uh, DMing other people. Hey, want to do something together? Hey, want to make a video together? Want to create something together? I think you got to have the same mindset. You got to create a bunch of content. Um, you know, you either raise a bunch of money and you pay other people to create content or you don't and you create the content and then you slowly, you know, work to, toward a point where you pay other people. Um, so I think content is one. I think the other is like, as much as you can, try to manage your cash flow, try to use credit cards that are smart, try to try to extend your um, uh, your payment terms. There's this one that we use called Flex, you know, it gives us cash back and it allows us to extend our payment terms you know, negotiate everything. The The price you see on a SaaS company's website is the price that they want you to see. It's not the price that can be on your contract. You can always negotiate down. Um, if you're a brand and you've got some sort of leverage, either, you know, um, you've just raised a bunch of money, you're about to go market like crazy. You've got some sort of a celebrity or influencer name attached to you. Um, you're well-known in the community. Whatever it may be, leverage that. You know, go and say, hey, um, Hey, Okendo, give me 25% off because I'll do a case study with you. Or, um, yeah, I, I just think everything, anything that's a number is up to interpretation, basically. Uh, go negotiate everything, consistently negotiate too. You know, Moyes um, 
says a great thing, which is when he was at Native, every half a million dollars, every million dollars of revenue, he'd go back to Stripe and ask him for a discount. And a lot of times they'd say no, but then of course, sometimes they say yes. And you know, that ended up saving him a ton of money. I imagine. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think those are probably my, my top lessons. And then I, the other one is, you know, if you've got, uh, and this is if you're raising or you're not, but you know, your people, your team, like that is, that's your number one priority outside of your customers is making sure that your team is really happy. If your team is happy, the re- everything else works out perfectly. It's like, if you can create the perfect environment, that creates the perfect system, which creates the perfect processes, which creates, you know, happy people. And so, um, that's great advice. Yeah. Investing in the team and making sure that there's a good culture is, uh, very underrated. Did you know that most Shopify stores are leaving 10 to 20% of their revenue on the table with every single purchase? Each year, Shopify merchants make New Year's resolutions to increase profits, but they overlook one crucial aspect, maximizing every order with upsells. That's like breaking your promise on day one, but you could turn that resolution into reality with Zipify one-click upsell. One-click upsell is the secret weapon Shopify merchants are using to unlock extra revenue on every single sale. I've seen this app transform stores, doubling their revenue. In fact, one-click upsell has already helped merchants like you make half a billion dollars in extra upsell revenue for your stores. Zipify OCU is the original Shopify upsell app, and it's been boosting AOV, that's average order value, since 2016, thanks to its seamless integration and intuitive upsell funnels. With the most upsell placements, AI-driven copy suggestions, and mobile-friendly designs, it's no surprise that the average OCU user increases revenue 10 to 15% as soon as they set up the app. The new year brings new opportunities, my friend. So start your 2024 strong with the app that makes your revenue goals a reality. Zipify one-click upsell. Go to zipify.com Kurt and start the 30-day free trial today. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to try Zipify one-click upsell for free. Don't just make resolutions, make profits. Add Zipify one-click upsell today and kick off the new year with a lot more sales. All right, so getting into retail is its own adventure. I want to know, once you're in retail, the brands now, especially like Target, will come to you and say, look, you know, the, your first month in here, we want to see how this sells through. So you've got to promote it. Like they're not promoting it for you. They gave you the placement on the shelf. That's the honor, right? That seems to yeah. be the approach. How do you, how do you drive sell through? Yeah. So, so one is if you're not ready to go into retail, meaning if you're not incredibly confident that your product will sell out in retail, it's not even worth going in because you get one shot at retail. Um, and if you, if you can't drive sell through in retail first, they're going to move you down on the shelf. So if you started around eye level or chest level, uh, you're going to get to the bottom of the shelf in height. And then if you can't move there, then they're just going to take you off. The other thing is if you have multiple SKUs and you can't move multiple SKUs, like let's say you have a cleanser, a serum and a moisturizer, you can only move the moisturizer, but you can't move the cleanser and the serum. Target's going to look at that and say, your brand is not moving. You're going to get penalized in the same way as if uh, you know, you're not selling any of your units. Uh, so one is I think you got to make sure that you have that. And then two is you know, I think different brands have done it different ways. Obviously, if you're a celebrity brand, it's much easier to drive traffic in store. Um, if you're a non-celebrity brand, I've seen brands do, do it a couple different ways. One is just using social media. So you know, I think Poppy is probably the best example there. 
where um, they just created a bunch of awareness organically on on TikTok, just saying, "Hey, we're in retail, and you should go check it out." And that did really well for them. Um, Imi did a really good job leveraging a Facebook group they built of ramen lovers and ramen customers um, who could, you know, as soon as they launched in Whole Foods, the shop, the uh, stores, the shelves were basically sold out. Um, I've seen other companies where they use, uh, you know, some online software to basically collect people's phone numbers and they'll say, hey, we're going to text you a coupon. You go to the store, you use the coupon, you get a discount on your product or vice versa. I've heard of the store, buy it. This one I've heard works. Yeah, this one does work well. Text us the receipt and we'll give you a rebate for that amount. I've seen, um, you know, a friend of mine who worked at a huge supplement brand used to do something where he would even get a Shopify order and it, it, it would go through a rules. So it would say, okay, if Shopify order is based in San Diego, well, we know that Costco carries our product in San Diego. So mark the order as fulfilled go to Instacart, go to, uh, you know, build the order in Instacart. That way somebody's actually going to Costco, picking up the order, scanning it at checkout and leaving. That person's still getting their order and uh, Costco is now seeing sell through on the shelves. And that person got their order same day. Same day, yeah. And so there's there's tons of different ways, I think. Uh, it, it really just depends on, you know, like obviously if when you first sit down, you're like, okay, how are we going to drive retail? sales. It's like, well, I don't know, you know, should we run ads somewhere? But you just got to get somewhat creative. Again, it comes back to like cutting through the noise. Like how do you get creative to the point where, um, you know, you have this like top 1% idea that that might work. It may not work, but at least you can, you have something to go test. I love that. All right. So you started, we started talking about tools a little bit there and some, some interesting outside the box thinking that I loved. What's What's your, what's your DTC tech stack? What tools are you using consistently? Oh man, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this one. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, Shopify go to for the, for the CMS. Exactly. Cha-ching. Let's see for subscriptions, you know, depending on the brand, if they want something that's sort of set it and forget it, uh, you know, set me up with a subscription and I don't want to have to worry about it. Uh, we use smarter if it's, uh, set us up for a subscription. And also we have somebody, one or two people whose full-time job is subscription optimization because that's a big part of the business. Uh, we use Stay. Um, for SMS, we use Postscript. Email, we use Klaviyo. Although I have been very intrigued to check out Sendlane. And I think we have a client we're helping migrate to Sendlane, so I'm excited for that. Um and then what else is there? Yeah, like Okendo we use for a lot of reviews and uh, they have a whole suite of tools now that we've been using. Um, you know, Triple Whale, North Beam, depending on the brand, it's usually just preference, which one they like. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Those are kind of the main ones. Any uh, any preference on, say, like reviews apps? Okendo. Okendo, I'm okay. also an investor, but I prefer Okendo because... I, I'm the one Indian who can't code and Okendo makes it very easy to implement and go live. We migrated. We had a client who's like, oh yeah, I need help migrating to Okendo. And we didn't have to do anything because they did the entire migration for us. I was really impressed by the, the customer support. No, their team is great. The other thing, actually, one thing I learned early on that maybe somebody should, should steal and do is we made Slack channels with every possible vendor that we work with. And so... um you know, if somebody has a, if a client has a question, if we have a question, something goes wrong, it's like, it's one, sl one Slack ping and we get the answer within, 
you know, less than 10 minutes, uh, which has been huge. Helps us again, cut through the noise. I used to resist doing the shared Slack channels. And now I've realized, because I was at like peak Slack, you know, like 2021, you're in like 30 Slacks. And I realize now what a missed opportunity that was. And now I'm like those shared Slack channels, just fabulous for that, that quick, like, hey, we could do some really, we could move just quickly between synchronous, asynchronous communication without totally. it being annoying. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the big notification nightmare. Yeah, um, exactly. I know it, one thing you're big on is, is landing pages. I am too. I think it's, I think it's just, it's a missed opportunity for a lot of merchants, especially early on, because they, they don't necessarily understand it or it feels like, you know, extra work. Help me make the case to them. Please convince these people that they should, they should try out landing pages. You know, landing pages is one way to do it, but I, I think it's really any sort of site experience you're driving people to. Um, if you're selling coffee, for example, let's say you're selling, um, you know, this, this new fancy coffee. When people go to your homepage um, and let's say this customer, you know, th they're told about the coffee brand, they click a link on social media, they end up at the homepage. The coffee brand talks to the internet as if it's sitting in a conference room surrounded by, you know, maybe like people in their 30s, maybe from Brooklyn or whatever branding agency, you know, they used or whoever helped them build the site. It's the point is, regardless of who it's speaking to or how it sounds, it's set to speak one way. You can't have a homepage speak to 12 different customer personas um, in one page. It just doesn't work. It's, it's speaking to one person, whoever that person is in mind when, you know, it's the time of site creation. With landing pages, you know, that coffee, that coffee landing page might actually introduce the fact that, you know, their coffee doesn't have acid reflux when you drink two cups a day. And it's hard to talk about something like that on the homepage, but if that's what your ad talked about as a reason of why it's a better coffee brand, and then you click through and you get to the homepage, there's somewhat of a disconnect there in the messaging. Whereas if you see that in the ad, you click through, and now this landing page is, you know, immediately talking about that and all of the talking points throughout the page sort of ladder back up to that point. Um, you're, you're guaranteed to have a much better conversion rate. I mean, even, even on clients, the average conversion rate for a landing page is anywhere from 8 to 11% on the Sharma brand side. And that's usually because we're making the landing page, we're also making the ads, and we're running the media. In that case, it's usually really good. But even if you have your ads and your landers and they're speaking consistently, uh, you should definitely, you know, if your site's converting at 2%, 3%, and you've got a good landing page, you've got good education on there, you've got somewhat of an offer, and of course you're selling something that's that's of interest or of need, then you can almost guarantee that that landing page will probably double or triple that conversion rate. That, I mean, that that's the case for it. That being able to segment in that way, being able to get all of your messaging aligned mm -hmm. gives you... It's such an opportunity to boost the conversion rate and then you know, maximize the the ROI of you know whatever whether it was your time on an organic campaign or the uh, return on ad spend. I think that's and the other thing too is great. on the retention side. As those people come in, you can tag those users as hey they came in on this offer, um, or they came in on a landing page, and then six months down the road you can actually analyze okay. Our new customers that came in and hit the homepage versus our new customers that hit a problem-focused page, you know, which one has the bigger LTV? It's almost always going to be the latter. 
what's as we we come to the end of our time together what do you think the the biggest miss opportunity is in in e-commerce in you know, digital branding i would say the biggest missed opportunity right now brands who are refusing to get on tiktok shop that is going to be i think uh like the next amazon at least for the younger generation um and <clears throat> you know if you're refusing to get on there because either a you think your customers are not on there you're wrong uh b you're not good at creating content that's a you problem um or c you know the the platform's not mature enough you're also wrong you know everybody should be on tiktok shop trying to get their product sold number up trying to get their reviews up just trying to build that social proof because in a year from now when it is what everybody's using and then you get on and start, it's going to be inc- like insanely hard to cut through that noise and to get your social proof numbers up and to really even just understand the intricacies of the platform and how it works and how does it route orders in and how does it tag orders and what do these users do after they buy once on your shop? Um, so I think if you're not on that now, um, you know, you're sort of setting yourself up for failure in a year. You know, the brands we do have on TikTok shop have all been, they're like, well, we'll try it. You know, yeah, let's just see what happens. They weren't, they didn't have high expectations of it, but they also, they're, you know, the, the successful brands are just willing to experiment to devote yeah. like 10%, 10, 15% of time to just try something new. And the ones that did try TikTok, TikTok shop were all consistently surprised at how well it did. And like, yeah, yeah. the integration itself on fulfilling the orders that it had its teething issues. Um, you know, we learned the hard way, like, oh, the shipping rate names all need to really match uh, yeah. was a recent one we just figured out is what was making us crazy about it. But like outside of that stuff, it, I think it worked better than a lot of people expected. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Whereas in the past, we're like, you know, social shopping, not as, you know, not as hot as you would think. You'd make it work, but it wasn't amazing. TikTok shop, now people are, a headline I saw today was like, we finally figured out social shopping in the US. And I don't think they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree. I think, um, you know, even if you look at the most successful brand on TikTok shop, uh, it's a great example of what we were talking about earlier with how do you cut through the noise and just have authentic content? Um, but yeah, I mean, TikTok figured that out in a way that, you know, I think Facebook has been trying to figure out and has, has unable to succeed. Um, and I'm excited to see how they evolve it. I know that their, their team over there is, is um, like pretty, pretty, they're run internally sort of like a startup, not like a corporate, big corporate company, which is why I'm even more excited because I think the rate of innovation is going to be really high. And yeah, so I, I wouldn't sleep on that. So outside of TikTok shop, What's one piece of advice you'd give to upcoming e-commerce entrepreneurs? Um, focus on all of the unsexy things. Like, you know, if, especially if this is your first brand or first time being an e-commerce founder, um, you know, focus on the dimensions of your packaging to make sure you're maximizing what you can send for a flat shipping rate or focus on the, the packaging looking good, feeling good in customers' hands or when they take a photo. Um, focus on the ingredients of the product you put out, really making sure it's differentiated or innovative. Um, and, and then, you know, focus on the customer. Like the customer is at the, 
a lot of people start a brand and they think, oh, this is awesome. People are going to start tagging me or uh, people are going to be using my product. But in reality, you know, if, if every customer is not satisfied, then it's impossible to build a brand. And so, in t- you know, the website, the landing page, the ads, they don't matter if, uh, if your customers aren't excited and really thrilled about it. So I think that's where I'd focus the most. Our final question is, is the CTA, the call to action, where can we learn more about Nick Sharma? This one's easy. You go to nick.co slash email. Very Nick good. with no C, so nik.co slash email. So I'll, I will go through, I'll add all this stuff into the show notes, tap or swipe up on the art to get to it. Definitely uh, sign up for Nick's email. It is one of my favorites. And uh, Nick Sharma, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it.